Imagine this. You are deeply loved by your family. You live in a land where you do good in all your ways. You're a good person. And most importantly, you have an incredibly good and intimate relationship with God. You worship him every day. You pray to him every day. You study his word every single day and the people love you. And everything seems perfect. But then the unthinkable happens. One day you get kidnapped. You you're taken and you're sold into slavery. You, everything you knew, everyone you knew, all your loved ones disappear in one day and you find yourself in a land you do not know, surrounded by people who you do not know and who have now enslaved you. What is running through your mind at that point? Wouldn't it be something along the lines of I'm cursed by God? God hates me. God, I have done something wrong, right? Or, you know, why is this happening? I don't understand it. All these thoughts come in and then really at its root, these thoughts really try to separate us from God because it starts seeming like there's this barrier between us and God, because how could God allow this? What did we do wrong? Right. And I want to submit to you that this story, this situation, it's something that did happen. It's very familiar. If you know the story of Joseph, because Joseph was that boy loved by his family, especially his father. His brothers, however, took him because of their jealousy and sold him into slavery. And he later ended up in prison. And everything seemed to go wrong. He was like I said, he lost everyone and everything. But then suddenly things are changed around for Joseph's good. After nights of crying out to God, of asking why, 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 but getting no answer, something radical happens. Joseph is noticed by the authorities, by the officials, and he starts working himself up because he gets dreams from God, which are actually dreams that start coming true. And this is very useful to Pharaoh within Egypt and Pharaoh promotes Joseph to the ruler, a ruler in Egypt just under Pharaoh to look after all the things of Pharaoh. Now, at this point, we're still not really sure why he was sold into slavery for, but we start seeing some blessing in the midst of all the hardships that Joseph had to go through. But let me ask you this question. If you were in Joseph's position, you were in this horrible place for many years, prison, enslavement, etc. And you knew it was your brothers who put you there. And you were elevated to a position of authority like he was, where he was just about the most powerful, basically the second most powerful in all the land. 
having Egypt behind him. If you had your brothers, the ones who betrayed you come before you and then they're vulnerable before you. Would you not desire to take opportunity to take revenge? To turn things around back on them because they took everything. They took his family away. They took every all his belongings, everything he knew. They caused him to lose. But yet we see something incredible happen in Joseph Joseph's response. And we read the following. So Joseph said to his brothers when they were dragged before him, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, see, up to this point, the brothers had no idea because I didn't recognize him. But then Joseph tells them, I am a ruler of Egypt. I am not, but I am the one that you sold. I am your brother, the one you betrayed. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure that we could agree that at this point, Joseph's brothers are really afraid. They are so afraid because they're they're in the worst possible position that they could have found themselves in. And someone like Joseph, someone in his position could easily think that this is ordained by God. This is maybe even a moment that God has given to me so I may have my revenge. God has answered my cries for help because my brothers betrayed me and now I can take revenge, right? That's what we may think. But Joseph knew that is not how God works. He knew that was on God's heart. And instead, he says the following. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. To preserve life? Like what? Right? This, this just seems like so weird what he is saying. Joseph is saying, yes, I was sold into slavery. I was thrown into prison. I lived there for years where I didn't even have some sunlight. But God sent me out before you to Egypt so that I can preserve life. <laughs> like all the things that befell Joseph would soon preserve life. Now, the reason he says that is because God has been giving Joseph dreams about a coming famine that's coming to Egypt. And this famine would destroy much of Egypt and the people around Egypt, the whole region, including Joseph's family, Jacob and his sons. But God saw this coming and God planned to protect them, to preserve life. And it was actually Joseph's great, close relationship with God that caused them to be the one to be picked, to be sent forward to preserve life. You see, we would think that 
when we are in this perfect relationship with God, that nothing bad would ever happen to us. And that's possibly even what Joseph may have been thinking when he was thrown into prison or sold into slavery. But why was he chosen, do you think? What did he do to be the one to be chosen? Because God could have chosen anyone. He could have done this through anyone. He could have given dreams to Pharaoh directly or to any of Joseph's brothers. Like God could have done it to anyone, but he chose Joseph. Why did he choose him? It was because of Joseph's humility. It was because of his close relationship that he was the one chosen to go for. Because any other man would have probably, instead of preserving life, after all this hardship that he went through, he would try and bring death. He would take this rulership position on and try and use it to his personal gain, his personal advantage trying to take revenge or mustering up all the power for himself and, and, and just taking everything for himself, not caring about anyone else. But God knew Joseph's heart was different. He knew that he would not do that. He knew that he was out of heart of humility. And he knew that even if Joseph was to be tested in prison and in slavery, the way he was, he would not reject God. And he didn't. Joseph not once cursed God through all his hardships, even though another man may argue he even had the right to. But he didn't. Because even though what happened to Joseph seemed like the worst thing that could happen to him, it ended up being the best thing that could ever happen to him and to his family. You see, brothers and sisters, when we are in relationship with God, the worst things that could ever happen to us, God uses to become the best thing that ever happens to us. Hey, look, we live in a land and in a world where there is sin all around us. It wasn't God who sold Joseph into slavery. It wasn't God who threw Joseph in prison. God is not the one who sins against us because God has no sin. He is perfect and in him is life. But what God does do is he turns around the things that people do against us. When people sin, he is so incredible that he turns the worst things, the worst sins, the most despicable things in this world. He turns around into something that preserves life. When we look at this story of Joseph, all this that was done against him was turned around to preserve life. And Joseph would soon invite his family and Pharaoh would be giving um, favor to them. They would be getting a place in the land and they would be getting protection from this famine because Joseph has prepared for it. And Joseph becomes known as the savior of Egypt and savior of that land because of the plans that God gave him to, pre to prepare for the coming famine. And he had stockpiled up food and everything needed so that they may not fail within this famine. And see, this is all similar to what God did for us in Jesus, in Yeshua, 
It's a picture. Joseph is just another picture of him, of our Messiah. What the enemy tried to do against him, the worst thing ever, putting him on a cross, even though he had no sin, no reason to be there, no right. He shouldn't have been there. Like it's the most horrible thing to do against a man that is perfect, if you will, a man that is righteous, just like Joseph was righteous. But even though that was the worst thing that could have possibly happened to Jesus, it was actually the best thing that could ever happen to the world. Because what God, what the enemy tried to do to destroy. And what the what what sin tried to do, and that is to kill. God turned around to preserve life and through that salvation came to the entire world. Yes, you may be righteous. You may have clear relationship with God. But what if the trials and tribulations you face would one day be turned around to preserve life in a manner that you could have never anticipated? As I was preparing for this teaching, I was walking a little bit and I was praying as I was walking and randomly this this um, gentleman just bumped into me and he stopped me and he started talking to me and he, he just started telling me this seemingly random story, you know, and he was telling me he, he's an elderly man by now, but he was telling me about how when he was uh, 28, 27, 28 years old, how he was swimming. And he had something go wrong with his heart and he had a lack of oxygen and then he passed out in the ocean and the lifeguards dove in to save him and he got saved by the lifeguards and he ended up in hospital and they discovered that he had something terribly wrong with his heart and they needed to do a heart surgery on him. And long story short, he had an open heart surgery where they had to cut him open while he was still awake. And there was a nurse right above him speaking to him to try and, you know, or he was rather speaking to her through this whole process to just trying to get his mind off of this whole open heart surgery that's happening right here. And it's, it's an incredibly incredible story. He's such a brave man, right? But it's, it gets crazy because he's talking to this nurse and the operation goes over and there are some complications and he ends up being in the hospital for another three to four weeks thereafter. And that same nurse that he, that he spoke to in the midst of his operation, he started getting to know over the days and month and then over the next month. And he ended up marrying her. He married, he met her, in the midst of an open heart surgery. <laughs> now, that is crazy because he now standing here today would tell you that his wife is worth it. And he is so grateful that father and he, he told me himself that God brought my wife to me this way. This was a horrible thing that happened to me and I don't understand it, but I know that through it, I met my wife. Through it, all this good came. And just like we read in the scriptures that if we find a wife that is seen as blessing from God. Now, this man who had this open heart surgery, it wasn't that he was being cursed by God. 
But God had an interesting twist and had something in store. And he had that surgery at 27, 28. But today he's an old man. He's I think he said he's 15 years retired. And he is doing well. So, brothers and sisters, it's just a little story, but I think you can identify. And if you can't identify, you will. This life is a refinement process. It's a process that is hard sometimes, sometimes incredibly hard, sometimes very confusing. And we don't understand why bad things happen all the time. And for a lot of us, we will one day understand when we see how God works it for good. We will see what God planned. And sometimes when God doesn't answer that prayer immediately, it's because he's going to use the situation for his glory. You know, like Joseph was in that cell, right in that prison cell. He was praying to God, God, help me. God, save me. God, where are you? God, why is this happening? God, just open the door. You can let me out, Lord. You are powerful enough to do this, right? But yet. If God was going to get him out of there, get him out of that prison cell at the moment that Joseph wanted, Joseph would have never been able to get in so close to Pharaoh and ultimately become the ruler who would save many lives because of his preparation, his humility, because of his heart for God, because of his incredible forgiveness. And you see, ultimately, brothers and sisters, that forgiveness that Joseph had was beautiful because it also points to the forgiveness that our Messiah has for us. Even though we were the ones we as people, he died for our sins, right? He died for the sins of the world. And our sins is what he is, why he was there, right? If it wasn't for our sins, it wasn't for us. He wasn't didn't need to die. But yet because of us, he did. So we basically put him on the cross. Just like Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. And just like Joseph forgave his brothers when he had the full right to throw them in prison. In the same way, our Messiah forgives us when he has the full right to lock us up and throw us in prison and throw away the key. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he forgives us. Not once, not twice, but 70 times seven as we repent. And that is a model that we need to follow. We need to be like Joseph, like Yeshua, like Jesus. We need to forgive our enemies, even those who would try and kill us or sell us into slavery. In Matthew 5, verse 39 onwards, we read about how Yeshua, Jesus Christ, talks about this matter. And he says the following. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go a mile, go with him too. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. We are called to not just love our friends and family, 
but also those who hate us, who are our enemies or who even hate God and are his enemies. This is the call of every believer, and that is to walk as he walked, as Jesus walked in forgiveness of the world, of everyone who put him on the cross. And the next part of the story, we read about how Joseph decides to move his family, including his father, Jacob, into Egypt so that they can be protected from the coming famine. But there is a big problem with this, and we'll read about it soon. We read in Genesis 45, verse 10, you shall dwell in the land of Goshen, that is in Egypt, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds and all that you have there. I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. Now, as Joseph speaks these words, which are pleasant, of course, that they will be protected. I want to submit to you that Jacob and his family was initially feeling a little uneasy about this whole situation, because it is no secret that Egypt was a very pagan nation. There was a reason that they didn't live in Egypt to begin with, and that is because Egypt as we will even later find out through our readings of the Torah is Egypt is full of idols, full of pagan gods and the Egyptians is a pagan people. And on top of all this, the Egyptians actually despise shepherds. They don't think of shepherds as being good people. And of course, Jacob is a family of shepherds. We read in Genesis 46 verse 34, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. And so all this is another thing that just doesn't make any sense. Why would God need to move them to Egypt? I mean, it's a pagan nation. They hate shepherds. There's all these things. But yet, like we discussed, sometimes God moves us in a direction that we don't understand and it doesn't make any sense unto what he is doing. God says to Jacob, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for there I will make you into a great nation. And of course, we then read Pharaoh's response in Genesis 47 verse three. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. And so we discover that Pharaoh, his heart is changed by God. His heart is is influenced and the father softens his heart towards Joseph's family because he loves because Pharaoh loves Joseph and he gives them the best of the land, even though they are shepherds, even though technically Egyptians don't like shepherds, even though they are pagans, God still moves in the heart of Pharaoh and does this. And if you know the rest of the story where this is all going, it's going to go into more of this question of 
Why is God allowing all this to happen? What is he setting this all up for? Because, brothers and sisters, like we saw how Joseph went through trials, soon Jacob's sons, who would be bringing forth the nation of Israel, would be facing trials as well. They will be later enslaved by the Egyptians. They will later then be delivered by God again, shown the miraculous by signs and wonders on the plagues of Egypt. And then God would do all this to bring something beautiful about again. And that is what we know today as our Old Testament or the Torah. And that beautiful gift of his word that we have came through the pressures that was necessary to be placed upon the people of Israel. And they're journeying through the wilderness. That is their refinement process. Yet again, it was hard. And there was a lot of times when they faced hardship, giants. They faced um, um, uh, basically no water. They faced no food. They faced many trials. But nonetheless, God delivered them from everything as long as they put their trust in him. They never went hungry or thirsty. God always provided for their needs. And in the same way, the walk of being a believer, a disciple of Christ is not one that is promised to be easy. In fact, quite the opposite. But our Jesus, he he said that you will face persecution. You will face trials if you follow me. Are you sure you want to follow me? But even in our trials, God never lets us down. Even in Joseph's severe trials, God exalted him because of his humility. Remain humble. Do not complain like the Israelites did in Egypt. And God will exalt you in due time. Remain humble and he will bless you. He will open great doors for you and use you mightily as he used Joseph. But if you turn your back on him, by complaining, by having a prideful heart, which is not quick to forgive, but rather full of vengeance, then the opposite would happen. Then things won't go as well as you'd hope. Things would your your curses would turn into more curses because of the way you handled them. But if you handle the things that the trials that come on your path with humility, then God will bless you with freedom and he will exalt you higher than you've ever been before. And he will use you more mildly than you could have ever been used before, because the trials you go through is what molds you into a tool that your father can use effectively. Unfortunately, it's not always easy or fun or, you know, to to be molded, but it is necessary. The flesh does not like to be challenged, but it is necessary for the spirit to rise up and rule and for the Holy Spirit to work more powerfully in and through you to reach those around you in whichever calling the forest placed and prepared for your walk. So be like Joseph, be like your Messiah to walk as he walked. God will exalt in the open.
I hope that this teaching has blessed you. Subscribe to this YouTube channel for more teachings just like this one. Please like this video and share it with your friends. Thank you.